1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we'll do a little bit of recapping, but tonight I want to pick up where I left off last week, and we're going to look at verses 4 through 7. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Here's what it says. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. It bears all things, believes all things, and hopes all things, and endures all things. Tonight, I want to talk to you from this passage of Scripture tonight about the nature of love. The nature of love. Last week, we talked about the importance of love. And uh, we covered uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. And I want to recap those um, tonight. You don't have to turn over there in your Bible. But I do want to recap those with you. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. Um, Paul said, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and I have not love, I become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but I don't have love, I am nothing. And though, uh, he said, I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but I have not love, it profits me nothing. Last week, we talked about the importance of love and how love is not just a warm, gooey feeling, but we talked about the different aspects of love in the Bible, particularly in the Greek language, which is phileos love, which is brotherly love. It's, it's like you say, hey man, I love you. Uh, then we have euros love, which is romantic love, where we get the word erotic from. Uh, and then we have agape love, which is the God kind of love. And 1 Corinthians 13, as we talked about last week, is talking about the agape kind of love. It is a charitable love, a compassionate love. Uh, the, the whole essence of agape in Scripture is a love that covers. It's a love that's undeserving. A better way to say it is like this. It's a love that is unconditional. I'm glad tonight that God loves me with unconditional love. Amen? Now, it's a tragedy that in America, in the West, we associate unconditional love with unconditional acceptance. Now, I would submit to you that you can love your child unconditionally without approving unconditionally of everything that they do, right? Does anybody understand what I'm saying? But God loves us. And the scripture is adamant that nothing can separate us from the agape love of God. It's so important for us to understand that love. And, and, it, and it shows us that God, God, when we sin and when we do miss it, even as a believer, he's not up in heaven with a baseball bat and want to smite us down. He really is like the picture of the prodigal son and the waiting father ready to embrace us, to, to, to wrap his arms around us, and to forgive us if we just come back to the father's house. So... Tonight, we'll want to look at the nature of love. As we were looking at that last week, one thing that we did say was that love is, in this passage of Scripture, not associated with the Hollywood kind of love. What do you mean by that? Well, you know, <laughs> how many of you have ever raised a teenager? Come on. How many of you, <laughs> how many of you are currently raising a teenager? I <laughs> raised two of my hands. So um, there's something that's called puppy love. 
I'm assuming that if you're in this room tonight and you have been a teenager before, you have experienced puppy love. Um, I remember the first girl that I had a crush on when I was in high school. Now, I don't even remember her name, but I remember what she looked like. And I remember, you know, the age of passing notes, right? You'd pass notes. Now they text. <laughs> but uh, we used to do this thing called passing notes in class. And, uh, and uh, <laughs> you know, they say, do you like me? Check yes or no. You know, in the little box there. Hope you didn't ever do anything corny like that. But the truth is, is that I remember, I remember really liking this girl. And then her just being like, no, I like you as a friend. There's nothing more crushing than when somebody that you have a crush on says they like you as a friend or they love you as a brother, right? That's just like terrible. That's the friend zone. That's the, you know, all we are going to be is this right here. We can be friends for life. And, and you know, when you're young and you go through that, it's like she broke my heart. I'm never going to love again. And we say that when we're 12 and 13 and 14 years old. And the truth is, we really don't even know what love is at that point in life. And, and, and how many of us have had that same scenario and that same situation? And now, like in my circumstance, I can't even remember what that little girl's name was. She was just cute, I thought, when I was in the sixth grade. So what am I trying to say tonight? Love is associated with a feeling. And I will submit to you that there are some feelings or some emotions that are bilaterally attached to love, but love in itself cannot simply be defined as a feeling. I would tell you this tonight, love is a choice. Love's a choice. And a little bit beyond that, love is a fruit. Love is a fruit. Everybody say, love is a fruit. It was Paul who wrote this, and the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's the first one he said. Love, joy, peace, patience, meekness, and so on and so on. Love is not just an emotion, although there are some emotions attached to it, but love is also a choice. Now, let's move into this for a moment because as we look at this tonight, when we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we, we establish the fact that, that 1 Corinthians 13 is not Euros love, it's not phileo love, it's agape love. It's the love, the, the, the kind of love that God wants us to have one toward, towards another. To truly understand the context of 1 Corinthians 13, you've got to understand the context of 1 Corinthians, period. Paul wrote it to correct some excesses in the church where brothers and sisters in Christ were just honestly really not treating each other kindly. Um, they were stepping over each other in worship. They were running over each other at communion. Um, they were sinning against each other. Uh, they're all types of things. And Paul goes in and he lays this groundwork about love. Now, a reason why I'm saying all of this is because there is an element to the agape love of God that we sign up to when we marry our spouse, when we get married. Because I, I tell you, the divorce rate is pretty high. Now, that's not a shame for anybody who's ever been divorced. It's not the unforgivable sin. But what I will say is this, the reason for a lot of divorces, I believe, is because, number one, there is a lack of understanding of covenant and commitment. 
and a lack of understanding about what love really is. Because let me tell you this, if you walk in your flesh and not after your spirit, I'm going to tell you, every marriage, and I can just say this from experience, every marriage has ebbs and flows to it. And this is not a marriage series tonight, by the way. I'm just giving you some background for our passage. Every marriage has ebbs and flows in its seasons of life. And here's what you need to understand. There are some days where you feel like you love your spouse. And there are other days where you don't feel like you love your spouse. But you still have to love them anyway. Right? Come on, is this too real? It's the truth. It's the truth because if you go by your emotions, you know, you just have this dopamine high. Oh, I love you. Praise God. We're together forever. Then you have a stressful day at work. The kids don't do something that they're supposed to do or they get bad grades. They bring them home or something happens on the job with a coworker. You come home and all of a sudden you don't feel the romance. You don't feel the love. You don't feel the butterflies. You don't feel the tingles. You don't feel all of those things. It's in those moments where you really prove your love. It's where your love is established. I, I heard a story, and I, uh, I put this in my notes tonight as I was looking through this this last week. There was a famous newspaper columnist who was also a minister. His name was George Crane. He told the story of a, a, a wife who came into his office for pastoral counseling. So the pastor and his wife met with this woman, and he said, you know, hey, what, what is it that I can help you with? And she said, I want a divorce. I want to divorce my husband and said, I'm not, I don't love him anymore. I've fallen out of love with him and he's hurt me beyond measure. And all I want to do is feel pain uh, for him to feel pain. She said, I, I don't just want to leave him. I want to reciprocate the pain. I, I just want to walk away and to really just cause him some damage. And so he basically said, you know, if you really want to get mean at him if you really want to just shove the knife in and twist it if you really want to get back with him and just really get back at him she says here's here's what you need to do he said don't go home and pack your bags and leave he said go home and act like nothing's wrong he said unconditionally meet his needs cook dinner clean the house rub his feet do whatever, make him feel like he's the king of the world, like you're madly in love with him. And you do that. You do that for several weeks. You do that just day in, day out, and you just do that. And he's going to think you've gone crazy. And when he thinks that everything's okay, and he, he thinks, okay, our marriage is fixed, this pastor told her, he knew what he was doing. He told her, he said, then at the two-month mark, here's what you do. You say, you know what? I'm not happy with you. I'm leaving you. He said, it'll devastate him. It'll pull the rug right out from under him. He won't know what hit him. It'll serve him right. So he sent the woman home. She went and devised her plan. She uh, began to do things and, 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 and kind of, quote, unquote, go through the motions, if you will. And she began to do these things. And all of a sudden, the pastor was looking back through his notes. And he realized eight weeks had passed. And he hadn't heard from this lady. And so he called her and he said, what, what's the deal? Don't you still want a divorce? She said, no, I don't, I don't want a divorce. I, I, I found out I still love the man. Her motions produced emotions. When she realized that as love was not just a feeling, it was a commitment and a choice. When she began to make that and not be led by her feelings, it re-enveloped some 
loving feelings that she had. And the pastor went on to say, Mr. Crane went on to say that that marriage went on and prospered for years and years and years after that. This woman's motion produced emotion. So the ability to love is established not so much just by fervent promises, but by often repeated deeds. Love always puts other people first. So when Paul begins to write to us, what does he begin to talk about? He begins to talk to us about love. This goes to show us that love is not just an emotion. Love is a choice. Can emotions follow? Sure it can, but the agape love of God is not emotional. I'm glad, so glad God's not emotional when it comes to loving us. Because I know some days I'm probably unlovable. And God chooses to love us anyway. So let's look at our passage tonight. If you're taking notes, write this down. The first thing we're going to look at is this. Number one, what love is. Or you could say it like this. What is love? Notice what he says here in our first verse of our passage in 1 Corinthians 13, 4. It says, love suffers long and is kind. So get this. One translation, the original King James says it like this. Love is patient. Love is kind. Now go back to the original of this and here's what we begin to see when we talk about love. Love is putting others, preferring others above ourselves. Love is patient. Love is patient. Is anybody in this room tonight glad that God is patient? Man, God is so patient. God is so patient. And all of us could learn to use a little bit more patience in our life. At the stoplight, at the stop sign, at the drive through come on, at other places in life with our children, all of us, we can learn patience a little bit more with our spouse. Love is patient. What is the opposite of patience? It's getting in a hurry. It's being hasty. It, it, it's being anxious. But love is, is, is patient. You know, when you're patient with somebody, what are you doing? You're giving them time. You're giving them the ability to grow. You're giving them the ability to work out the details of their life. You know how one way you can tell when you're not walking in love with somebody is when you become very short, very impatient with them. You know, here's what I found out. When you love somebody, they can do no wrong. But when you don't love somebody, they can do no right. I want to say that one more time. When you love somebody, they can do no wrong. But when you don't love somebody, they can do no right. You know, parents view their children through this lens. You know, not my little Johnny. He didn't talk to the teacher that way. You know, love covers a multitude of sin. And sometimes love keeps us from seeing what other people see. And guess what? When you love somebody, they can do no wrong. You're, you are very forgiving towards them. You have grace towards them. You know, it's okay. We'll try it again. We'll do it another way. It's all right. We'll work it out. We'll continue. But if you don't have love for somebody and you're impatient with them, they can't do anything right. They can't mow the yard right. They can't do the dishes right. They can't parent right. They can't budget right. They can't do anything right. But guess what? what if you have that type of inclination towards people 
It's a good indicator that you're not walking in love towards them. In our relationships, in our life, with brothers and sisters in Christ, it would be good for us to ask the Lord to give us patience. Long-suffering. Long-suffering. Here's another one. Love is patient. Love is kind. What, what is kind? What is kindness? Gentleness. Gentleness. How you handle people. How you respond to people. Is it our, is it our incl- first inclination to extend grace to people? Or is it our first inclination, as the old saying goes, to bite their head off? Right? You know what I'm saying? This goes back to what Paul was saying uh, whenever he was talking about this in the previous verses. Paul said, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, and if you don't have love, he said, it's like a sounding of a brass and a tinkling of a cymbal. Imagine uh, somebody, I remember my, my brothers, I've got two, two brothers who are older than me, considerably older than me from my dad's first marriage, and uh, growing up in the house with them, they would play pranks on each other, horrible pranks. In fact, my mom is probably watching right now laughing on the other side of the, of the live stream. It's a wonder how they made it alive out of our house. Um, my brothers did terrible, terrible pranks. I mean, they, they lit smoke bombs inside the house from the fireworks stand, you know, and shut all the windows. Oh, terrible stuff, terrible stuff. So kids, if you're watching, don't get any ideas. Um, but one of those pranks was well, I had an older brother who was... Uh, just a heavy sleeper. Alarms wouldn't wake him up. Nothing would wake him up. My dad used to come in and say, if you don't get up for school, I'm going to throw a cup of ice water on you. I mean, it just nothing worked. And my other brother came in one day with pots and pans. And I mean, just, I mean, just beating the mess out of pots and pans right in his face. And it's just, you know, bing, bing, just the loudest racket that you possibly could, could comprehend. And as beautiful as spiritual language is, the tongues of men, the tongues of angels. Paul said, if you're mean to people, it just doesn't really matter. So kindness, our gentleness, our tone that we take with people. Come on, somebody. All of those things matter when it comes to dealing with people because love is kind. All of us could use a little bit more kindness. Now, don't mistake kindness for weakness. Because you can be kind and still be stern. You can be kind and still have boundaries. You can be kind and still say no. But we have to be kind because love is patient and love is kind. Let's go a little bit further. Um, We see what love is. Let's look at what love is not. Now, here's some characteristics that, that you and I can look at. Um, that are just listed out here in the scriptures. See what it says. He says, love does not envy. You know what envy is. Envy uh, goes along with that commandment that is listed in the book of Exodus. It was one of the ten commandments that God gave Moses about coveting. It's, it's, it's being envious of what somebody else has and you don't have it. Being envious that somebody makes a bigger salary than you, that they have a bigger house than you, that, they, that their marriage is 
doing a little better than yours so that you may think. Anything external that we look at at a person, you, you say, man, their ministry is better. Their, their, their marriage is better. Their kids are doing better. And you have an envy. It's not, a, it's not a heart of gratitude or a heart of thankfulness or a heart of, man, that's great. I'm glad you're doing well. It's envy in your heart that's saying, I deserve that and you don't. That's what envy is. And envy is an evil thing. And it is the, uh, the compolar opposite to love. Love wants the best for people. Amen? Love wants the best for people. We want you to have that promotion. We want you to get that award on your job. We want you to go forward because that's what love is. Love does not envy. It does not tear people down. It does not sabotage. That's not what love does. Here's the next thing. He says, love does not envy. Here's the big one. He says, love does not parade itself. Love does not parade itself. What, is, what does that mean? Well, love is about putting others first, right? Love is about putting others first. So what does it mean when love parades itself? It's when you have to get the credit that it has to make it about you. And there are some people who are just predispositioned in life that they have to be the center of attention. Amen? You know, there are some people I think they would really be shocked if they saw a picture of the Hubble telescope and they shot it out into outer space and they looked and they saw the universe really doesn't revolve around them. Some people would really be shocked because they think, da-da-da-da, there's the... Father, Son, the Holy Ghost, and then there's me, right? But here's love does not parade itself. Love takes a second seat and lets somebody else get the credit. Love exalts somebody else over itself. Why? Because there's humility in love. Humility in love. How many know the Bible says God is love? When Jesus showed up, you know what it says? The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. When Jesus showed up, he didn't come beating his chest saying, dun, 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 here am I. Nope, you could find him with a basin of water at the, at the feet of a prostitute washing her feet. You could find Jesus in the house of a publican uh, eating dinner at their table. You could find Jesus in the lowliest of places, right, places, riding a donkey into town. Why? Because love does not parade itself. It always gives preference to the other person. You know, how would our marriages look like? How would our families look like if we lived with the idea that we're going to prefer others above ourselves? Be great. Then notice what he says here. He continues on against the way. He says, love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. That's, that's the same thing, but a little bit different. Parade has a, has a bit to do with wanting to be seen. To be puffed up has to do with pride. Pride. Have you ever seen a peacock strut his feathers? Yeah. We were, we were in Gatlinburg, Tennessee one year. And a friend of ours had came and preached at our church. And we were youth pastoring and... 
And uh, he said, hey, Pastor Brad, he said, uh, you guys ever want to come to Tennessee? He said, you just come on to Sevierville, which is right outside of Gatlinburg. And he said, man, we've got a family in my church. They own some condos, and, or not condos, but cabins. And he said, you guys can come stay. We'll hang out. We'll take you to Dollywood, do all that fun stuff. And so anyway, we went to Sevierville. This was probably 10, 12 years ago. And um, this little bitty Mountain Valley Chalet is what it was called. It looked like a shack from the outside until you got inside the house. When you got inside, it was beautiful. The back door opened up, big uh, French doors opened up, hot tub, mountain view, privacy, it was amazing. And they told us, they said, there are two things that you gotta look out for. They said, number one, you gotta look out for the bears. And I'm like, bears? Like, what do you mean? And my first time ever going to Tennessee. And he said, well, we have black bears. They come out. We have to lock our garbage cans up. They'll get in there and they'll, you know, you got to make sure your door's shut too because they'll come inside. And I'm like, what? Uh, so anyway, uh, one night we actually did have bears come up. They didn't come up and bother anything, but we could see where they had been. And they said, the other thing is, he said, you got to watch out for the peacocks. He said, we have peacocks that come out and they kind of roost in the morning. You'll hear them. And so, you know, they're just kind of reserved kind of reserved until you mess with them or until you notice them and they notice you. And then all of a sudden, those feathers come out and they begin to parade themselves and to puff themselves up. And and there's a sense of pride when we have to be the center of attention. There's a sense of pride when, when we have to make it all about us. And the Bible says that love is not puffed up. And he goes on to also say this. Look at this. He says, love does not behave rudely. Now, I'm going to say something to shock some of you. You might say, well, I wasn't rude. You're not the one who gets to determine that. Right? Seriously. One thing that I have learned is that I have no right to invalidate another person's feelings. Feelings are not always correct, but they are real. And so people say, well, you made me feel bad. I didn't make you feel bad. Listen. That's not the issue right now. Something we have said, something we have done, has communicated in a way that was not meant to be received. And and we can't tell that person, well, bless God, I just said it this way. Suck it up, buttercup, just deal with it. No, that's not how, love is not rude. It doesn't behave rudely. And so what we have to do is make sure that when we're communicating, we have to make sure that when we're talking with people, when we are not just speaking, but as he said, behaving, that we are behaving in a manner that portrays love because God wants us to be portrayed in that way. Um, Here's another one. Uh, it's It's not provoked. In other words, it's not easily angered. Um not easily angered at all, doesn't envy, it's not, does not rejoice in evil, doesn't rejoice in evil. In other words, when somebody falls, you can't say, who bless God, look at them. No, 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 no. You know, the Bible says that, that God takes no pleasure when the wicked fall. That's what God says. I don't take any pleasure in the death of the wicked or when the wicked fall. It grieves God's heart. When people fall into error. And I've seen um, preachers that have fallen into sin. And whether another preacher or a, a Christian say, see there, I knew they were blah, blah, you know. 
Love doesn't rejoice in evil. You don't get excited when somebody else falls. We don't get excited when somebody else is hurting. We don't do those things. What do we do? We grieve. We, we, we mourn. We should not be rejoiceful when those things happen. But then he goes on a little bit further. Let's look at this. We looked at what love is. We looked at what love is not. Here's the third thing. Let's look at what love does. Let's look at what love does. This is found in verse 6. It says, He does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. So let's look at this. What does love do? Number one, love rejoices in the truth. Man, when, when truth presents itself, those who are people who walk in love should rejoice at the truth. The truth of a situation, the truth of God's word, the truth of the matter. We have to rejoice in it because a person who is walking in love does not rejoice or walk in untruth or lies or anything of that nature. We walk in truth and we rejoice in it. Love also, he says, it bears all things. What does it mean to bear all things? What does it mean to bear something? To bear something in, in, in our language, in our vernacular, it means to shoulder it. It means to, to, to carry the load. Love bears all things. Let me tell you a story of a, of a couple that I knew. I won't call any names because this is a real situation. Um, it has to do with a couple that I went to high school with. A uh, couple that I went to high school with, you know, they had the ooey-gooey love and, you know, all that stuff. And, um, you know, oh, we love each other, blah, blah, blah. They got married. And this young man got in an accident, became paralyzed. She left him. She left him. He can't make me happy. He can't do this. He can't do that. Well, love bears all things. And... I think that when, whenever we stand before God, especially in the realm of marriage, and we say, have this commitment. That's why we get, we get calls all the time. People, can I have my wedding at your church? Well, if you come to church here and you're a Christian, yeah, we can do that. I don't just do marriages at church like this for anybody, any Tom, Dick, and Harry, because marriage is serious to me. If you just want a contract so you can get a tax return, you go to the courthouse. I'm serious. I mean, there are, there are 500 other pastors in Woodward who will marry you. But to me, marriage is serious. And when you're asking me to pray over your marriage and to bless your marriage and to make a covenant before a living God, that's important to me. That's serious to me. That's why with the couples that I've married, there's an extremely low divorce rate among the people that I've married because I don't marry a lot of people. Because I, they got to go through counseling and they got to do all kind of things. But when you come to an altar and you say, I take this man, this woman, to be my husband, my wife, in sickness and in health. We don't get the option to fall out of love because your spouse has to go to a nursing home. You don't get the option to fall out of love, quote unquote, if your spouse in old age develops dementia or some disease and, and, and life is hard, uh, it, there, there are 
areas in God's word where he gives us an out for divorce, but even in those areas, they don't have to be. People can still work through adultery. They can still work through infidelity if they want to because, listen, love is not just a feeling. It is a commitment before God. Bears all things. Here's another one. Love believes all things. I like the way one translation says it. Love believes the best about people. I have to work on this myself a lot. Because I've been burned in life just in relationships and by friends and by people who said they love me. Um, that at times it's possible for me to have a wall up at times. And, and God's really been working on me in that. Because, you know, when people do something for me, a lot of times the first response to me is, why did they do that? What do they want? What are they trying to get? Instead of just believing the best about people. Well, they just want to do that because they love you. We just want to do that because we believe the best in you. We just do that. And, and love, when God wants us to love people, what love does is he wants us to believe the best about all things. You say, well, man, if I do that, I can get hurt. Well, guess what? If you choose to love, you choose to be vulnerable. And if you choose to be vulnerable, there will be, mark it down in your calendar, I said this on this date, if you open up your heart to love somebody, you will get hurt. Even Jesus hurt. It's a part of life. So, love believes all things. Love hopes all things. What does that mean? To hope means to anticipate, to expect. It's, it's, a, it's a cousin to the word faith, if you will, if you want to put it like that. Hope and faith are different, but they're kind of related. And when you hope the best for something or for someone, it means you wish nothing but the best for that person. You want nothing but the best for them. Then here's the last one. Love endures all things. It endures all things. Do you know, I keep referring back to marriage because marriage, right, there's no other relationship on the face of the planet that mirrors the relationship between us and God as the relationship of a husband and a wife. You say, Pastor, I don't believe that. It's in the Bible. Paul said, Behold, I show you a mystery concerning Christ in the church when he's talking about marriage in Ephesians. That, that unconditional love, the honor, the commitment that, that married together between husband and spouse. After all, he is the bridegroom and we are called the bride. As a man, I take offense to be called a bride, but that's, that's the only exception I'll take for that. But how many of you will admit tonight, for those of you who are married, now I'm not saying you have a perfect marriage or you've never gone through a storm, but I can honestly say that our love is stronger today than it was on the wedding day. Seriously. People always go back to the honeymoon, the wedding day, the bubblies, the, the butterflies, all of those things. That's great, but that's a starting place for your love to grow. 
But when you go through things with each other, how many of you know what I'm talking about? You go through the thick, as they say, and you go through the thin, as they say, and you stick through it through the thick and the thin, and guess what happens? Love endures all things. What that means is that there's not anything that love cannot conquer. We need to think about that. You think you can't love somebody. I want you to think about how God loves us. And some of us, I know that's probably hard sometimes. Because all of us have good days and bad days. But tonight as we get ready to close, we're looking at the nature of love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not parade itself. It does not, it's not puffed up. It's not rude. It doesn't seek its own. It's not provoked. It's not easily angered. Love does not envy. It does not rejoice in evil or when people fall. But it rejoices in truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endure all things. And I will, I will close tonight with the last verse in this chapter and we'll pick this back up next week but but first corinthians 13 13 reads this it says now abides faith hope and love these three but the greatest of these is love i will submit to you tonight that if you get the love area right of your life everything else will begin to line up love god love people you know, it, it's interesting, the cross has two beams, a horizontal beam and a vertical beam. One beam that goes straight up and down, another beam that goes left and right. So I want you to think about this. The Ten Commandments, you know, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not bear false witness, you shall not covet, honor the Sabbath day, honor your father and mother. You know, all those commandments that, that the Old Testament people, the moral code that they walked in, Jesus boiled all of those things down to two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So a lot of problems can be solved if you just simply love God and love people.